Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and I'm not your lover. I'm not your friend. I am something that you'll never comprehend. That is so true. I have mm-hmm. been trying for years. To <laughs> have, you made, have you made any progress? Or I really, just... I really haven't. But we'll keep, uh, we'll keep on trying. <laughs> so this is a uh, very special bonus episode uh, that we are adding on to our season on the films of 1984. We concluded the season, but we decided to add one more film to the list. In part, I guess, or even mainly because the sort of central theme of this season has been music and how important music is to so many of the movies that we talked about and so many movies in this year. And so looking at that, we decided we couldn't leave 1984 without discussing maybe the, I don't know, most important or the the most music-y music movie of the year i think i think what you're saying is what am i saying jason what you're saying is of all the movies we've covered the music is as essential to this one to propelling it to the heights that it gained or received or reached both story-wise and uh acclaim wise and box office wise is that what you're saying that the music is so woven into the tapestry of this film that it's almost like a hour and 51 minute music video. Is that what you're saying? Let's say that is what I'm saying, because that sounds better than whatever I would have said. I mean, there's no movie. There's no movie without the music is. And and we we know we've done Footloose and Amadeus and as those are essential. So this is the this is our pop uh, counterpart to Amadeus in a way. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. And this movie is Purple Rain, um, the showcase for Prince, who was a huge star in 1984 and um, perhaps more importantly, became an even huger star thanks to this movie. Uh, This was a major turning point in Prince's career, uh, not only as a successful film, but also the music from this movie, uh, the soundtrack album was a massive, massive hit for Prince as a musical artist. And it really feels, a. I, I think it feels as much as any of the other big blockbuster movies that we discussed, it feels like a very quintessential 1984 movie. Yeah, this was uh, in the zeitgeist. And I think you're right, Josh, he was a big star. And then once MTV started playing him, the momentum, you know, his videos, the momentum kind of took off. And then this just pushed it to a level of pandemonium and superstardom, the likes of which, you know, I think we talked about it in another episode. There were five in 1984. It was Michael Jackson, Prince, Bruce Springsteen, Madonna, and Cyndi Lauper. Those were like the hugest stars that there were, you know? Right, right. And that that put him on the level with those other people. And so this movie was a big success at the box office, despite as I think along with a few other things that we've talked about this season that were huge hits where the studio executives looked at these movies and thought, what? Um, And were reluctant to even release them. This movie grossed $70.3 million on its budget of just 7.2 million. Um, It also won an Oscar. And this was interesting to me. It won an Oscar for best song score, which is a separate category from best original score. 
And it was the last movie to ever win that award. After 1984, that award was discontinued. So hmm. that... Can, uh, can you explain that Oscar, Josh? No. Um, <laughs> that was why I was sort of... No, I, as far as I could tell, uh, it's, it's, it was an award that was given to Prince for the original songs. And I think it was an award that was designed back when original musicals, when Hollywood was producing so many more musicals every year. And so in addition to the sort of um, instrumental score in a film, they would want to give an award to a body of songs that were written, not just one song, but the overall body of songs. And I think probably in part because that's there are so few movies like that anymore that there wasn't enough to nominate. I don't know exactly why that was discontinued. But what it was was an award that went to Prince, not just for one song, but for all the songs in the film. And in 1984, we know, had so many movies with so many original songs. Was he against anything or was it? Uh, he was. And see, and now I should have uh, noted that down because <laughs> um, I uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe Dave can look it up quickly because yeah. it's uh, it's it's somewhere in the in the weeds of Wikipedia. But yeah, there were two were two other nominees. So, um, you know, not as many as, um, you know, in most categories when you end up with five, but, but just like these days in some of the categories where there isn't as much to nominate, sometimes even in best original song these days, there'll only be three nominees. Right. Yeah. Here we go. Okay. I found it. So, um, he was up against, uh, one of your favorites, Jason, uh, the Muppets take Manhattan and, uh, Jeff Moss, who I guess wrote the, uh, songs for that movie and, uh, the movie songwriter. Uh, which was starring and uh, featuring original songs by uh, Chris Christopherson. Hmm. So there you go. I'm not familiar with that movie. But that is an interesting award, and I feel like it could maybe be given out now. Um, a but, Star is Born, right? Did, that's what came to yeah. my mind, the Lady Gaga Star is Born. I was, sure. was going to say once from 2007. There you go. And I wonder if it has to be, because a lot of times even now, you know, movies that have, uh, a bunch of songs and where there's a whole body of songs that contribute, they're maybe not all written by the same person. And I don't know if that's a necessary component too. Could you nominate like 10 different people if they all contributed different songs? I don't know how that worked exactly, but for whatever reason, it's not been given out since 1984 and Prince was the, la uh, the last guy who got it. The soundtrack, as we're saying, which was a huge turning point for Prince, uh, has sold 25 million copies worldwide, which is uh, a large number. And I don't good know analysis, the, Josh. Thank you, thank you. Well, <laughs> hey, I, I I pulled out some random stuff to say about the Best Original Song Score Award. So come on, give me some credit. <laughs> um, and and I don't know if this has been the case with anything uh, that we've talked about before, but this movie won an Oscar, and was nominated for two Razzies um, for Worst New Star for Apollonia Catero and for Worst Original Song for the song Sex Shooter, which is a song that Apollonia <laughs> and her group sing in this film, but they did not Hayden. win. I don't mind her being nominated. Like, that's fair, but 
sex shooter come on there there are worse songs out there than a sex shooter i'm sure there are i don't know what exactly that that i i also don't know what it was up against there but and i don't think worst original song is a category that the razzies give out very often but just they just wanted to pick on apollonia (laughs) i mean that's possible and that's something as we've talked about too that the razzies will do they'll just like make up random uh categories in any particular year because they want to pile on some movie that they hated well josh as we know the razzies that year the jury was headed by vanity so oh yeah that's a reference (laughs) that's a that's an inside uh purple rain joke there vanity was originally supposed to be the star the vanity six and then she and prince kind of broke up i think they were an item and then it was going to be jennifer beals but she was in school so it went to apollonia who prince saw on a random tv show um, and was like, hey, that's the lady. She'll be the star, you know. Yeah. So that's, it was called it Tales of the Gold Monkey. I feel like I watched <laughs> Tales of the Gold Monkey as a kid. It was like an mm. old school like adventure kind of show. But I could be I'm making that up entirely. But does it really matter? <laughs> um, this movie was it got it got mixed response from critics. And I think as as we've talked about, actually probably a lot in this season with with youth oriented films, often the uh, stodgy critics are baffled by what the kids today are into. Um, but some critics did like it. Uh, Siskel and Ebert actually both really liked it. They gave it two thumbs up and they talked about how um, Prince was, you know, this would have been a launch for his film career, which as we discussed when they talked about that with Michael Jordan in Space Jam. Of course, that uh, was not really true, and they were pretty off base on it. But um, they did like the movie, and uh, and they gave it two thumbs up. Review-wise, uh, Cynthia Kirk in Variety was also positive, and in the typically uh, amusingly jargon-filled Variety style, she said, playing a character rooted in his own background and surrounded by the real-life members of his Minneapolis-based musical family, rock star Prince makes an impressive feature film debut in Purple Rain, a rousing contemporary addition to the classic backstage musical genre. Pick captures the essence of the current music scene and the colorful Prince persona very well indeed. Fans of the performer, who went triple platinum with his last LP and is already charted with his first single from the film's soundtrack album, will be mightily pleased. Well-shot musical sequences doubtless intended for additional music vid cable and TV exposure should enhance the pics drawing power. And I don't know for sure, but I assume some sequences from this were taken basically entirely and used as music videos on MTV. I'm almost certain like the when doves cry video is basically the same thing because I remember it in my mind. The director of photography, Don Thorin, uh, who, you know, was a very successful DP, um, definitely Man, the color, the word that popped in that review was colorful to me because they really played with colors and backgrounds. And um, the last thing I wanted to say, Josh, uh, Siskel had it at number five of his favorite movies of 1984. um, And Ebert had it at number 10. And as we know, uh, they both dressed up as Prince at the end of the (laughs) year to celebrate that. Yeah, that's kind of amazing that they both had it on their top 10 list, that not only were they enthused about it as sort of a fun music movie, but they really thought that it had that much cinematic value, Uh, especially given, um, as we talked about in a recent episode, their response to Footloose, 
where they were very disdainful of exactly the kind of stuff that Cynthia Kirk is talking about in that variety review, the idea of these sequences that are essentially just music videos on their own. And they were very uh, dismissive of that related to Footloose, but I guess they they loved Prince. And and of course, also, as, as we've talked about before, Roger Ebert, very horny and uh, definitely uh, got in his mention of how attractive he found Apollonia. Well, Josh, I mean, Siskel could have also been very horny. We don't know either way, really. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, Ebert, however, was always unashamed to express. She is. I mean, she is beautiful. Sadly she is. for her, she's like uh, the second most beautiful star of the movie behind Prince. You know, so <laughs> Prince seduces you with his eyes every time he's on screen. So Yeah, he has that going for him. Other critics were not so much into it. And uh, this one, as, as I feel like we've established in other episodes, Gary Arnold in the Washington Post is quite the curmudgeon, and he definitely does not get the appeal of Prince. He said, evidently a thinly fictionalized elaboration of the star's private mythology. The movie drapes a dozen glittery music video production numbers around a maudlin plot depicting the, quote, catharsis of an egotistic rock idol called The Kid. But it's catharsis on the cheap. There is no reason to accept the pretense that the hero has suffered much and changed for the better, unless you're predisposed to get swoony over Prince himself. And that is a difficult proposition for someone of my generation and tastes since he resembles nothing so much as Donna Summer with a goofy mustache and stirs a nostalgic fondness for James Brown and Little Richard, who used to go through similar motions in a consciously humorous style. And he goes on and on in that review about how uh, dumb he finds Prince, which I, I thought was amusing. Was it, uh, was he like insulting? I mean, obviously he's insulting Prince, but was he insulting like it felt like a very insulting comparison to Little Richard and James Brown. Like here are other legends who also suck, you know. Like that. No, no. I think what he's saying is that James Brown and Little Richard are better in at doing what Prince is doing, and that they had this uh, sense of humor about themselves that Prince does not have. I think is what he's kind of trying to say there. I think I think Prince's sense of humor, as we saw throughout the years was because he took himself so seriously, right? And he knew he took himself so seriously. And that's when he was able to poke fun of himself here and there a little, you know? A little, definitely not in this movie though. He takes he takes himself and the movie takes him incredibly seriously here. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, he did that later. You're absolutely right. When he would make like little cameos and stuff and had a, a more, a sense of self-awareness about how silly he was. But none of that comes across in this movie. Yeah, maybe not for Gary Arnold, but uh, but but for the audiences in 1984, I, that didn't really bother them. No, no, it didn't. I mean, the people who were into this movie, who were Prince fans, also presumably took him seriously and were happy to see him celebrate himself. I mean, Dave uh -huh. always talks about you know, imagine, and and this is the real season of vindication for the big screen experience, right? But like. It would be totally the best way to see this movie in a, on a big screen with Prince fans in a dressed up, you know, type of uh, all night party there. That would be the way. Let's go crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this is a movie that would certainly be enhanced by being surrounded by people who were fans of Prince and fans of the music because mm, that's that's all there is to it. So <laughs> uh, finally, Pauline Kale in The New Yorker 
was also sort of baffled by Prince, but was a little more amused by the whole experience. She said, it's not difficult to see the attraction that the picture has for adolescents. Prince's songs are a cry for the free expression of sexual energy, and his suffering is a supercharged version of what made James Dean the idol of young moviegoers. This kid is, quote, hurting. And this picture knows no restraint. It was directed by Albert Magnoli, who also wrote the final script and was the co-editor. But Prince is in charge, and he knows how he wants to appear like Dionysus crossed with a convent girl on her first bender. And his instinct is right. If he had performed the role more realistically, the picture would be really sodden. This way, his impudent pranks make the audience laugh and his musical numbers keep giving the picture a lift. It's pretty terrible. There are no real scenes, just flashy, fractured rock video moments. But those willing to accept Prince as a sexual messiah aren't likely to mind. Josh, um, you were an English major in college, correct? Yes. Will you break down that simile for us that she used? <laughs> I don't. I don't know exactly. I mean, Di, Di, I love her. Right? Like she's her writing is always great. Um, and I feel like like Dionysus, of course, is is a is a Greek or Roman god of like partying and excess. Yeah. Um, and and so, sex is a big component of that. Yes. Yes. And the the convent girl on her first bender. Um, so I think she's trying to say that he wants to seem both hedonistic and sort of like strangely innocent at the same time and like naive in in some ways. And I, I think that makes sense. I do too. Because yeah. the kid is sort of, I mean, he's a kid in a way. I mean, I think that's probably deliberate in the way that he's been named. And even though he's very sexual and he's this budding rock star and all that stuff, he's still weirdly sheltered and naive about human emotions and his parents and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's like, um, what age are we trying to make him here? You know, I think he was 26 at the time of filming or when it came out, but it's like, he's still living with his parents. Right. And his career is like, uh, you know, until that catharsis that was talked about earlier, like on the rocks, like we don't know how he's living this lifestyle other than the fact that he is a, you know, musician in those in the scene, but it's like we never see him get money, but he's got this dope, you know, purple motorcycle and all these cool clothes, you know, so and he's able to pay his band. So I don't know. I agree. I think it's a very it's a it's dichotomy, but I think it was done on purpose to attract the largest possible audience. Yeah, yeah, probably so. We'll, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt on that. Um, yeah, you could say that this is I mean, it's not meant to be realistic, this movie, I suppose. It's like a fable, even though it takes on these very heavy themes that I think are at odds with the idea of it being sort of like a fairy tale almost. But right, we're not, I don't think we're meant to question like, what does the kid do for money? And why does he live with his parents? And did he go to college and that kind of stuff? I don't think that's really something they're concerned with. Uh, I mean, it's in a way, it's a matter of execution, right? Because we could ask a lot of these same questions about Amadeus, but we all fell in love with Amadeus so much. We were like, ah, just let it go. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, you know, I suppose you're right that it's, it's stylized in a way. And if the movie works for you, you're not concerned about that. And this movie did not work on any level for me. So, um, (laughs) it, it makes me wonder these things. And I feel like that's maybe the case for these critics who are also not really into it. And they start asking those questions 
as opposed to like Siskel and Ebert, who were just so enamored of the whole thing that they didn't worry about that. They just talked about how hot Apollonia was. Um, so, um, had you seen this movie before, Jason? I actually had never seen it before, Josh. Okay, because I know you like Prince a lot. I love Prince, so um, that that is. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd never seen any Prince movies before. Well, this is the one to see, I think. Really, uh, we'll, we'll oh, talk really? About later. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of graffiti bridge fans that you're going to piss off, Josh. <laughs> there are some, I think, probably. And uh, I actually had seen this. I'm not a Prince fan, as as Jason knows. Um, and we, Jason, did we see Prince live together? This is as we were talking about yesterday. My poor memory. I saw Prince live. Were you there? We did. I had to. Uh, so Josh remembers us hanging out, but he never remembers the things that we did. Josh covered Prince on uh, for uh, a magazine article for a tiger jam where he was headlining oh, yeah, and it was that. between me and our friend jamie burger who you were going to take and i bribed you by saying i'd treat you to in and out burger <laughs> that's all it takes really <laughs> and that was oh, one God. of the great investments of my life dave because i don't know if you've seen prince live but you know it was like he's headlining a, a good charity show so you know as prince um it wasn't like a small club 2 a.m prince show where you're like oh I don't know what he's doing. These are all random riffs on song, like, uh, you know, South African funk songs from the 60s that we don't know or anything like that. You know, these were these were all the greatest hits back to back to back to back to back to back to back, which was a great way to see him. Did you ever see him, Dave? I got to see him at the Rio when he did that little residency uh, and it, it was great. And that was like when he used to just do whatever he wanted. Yeah, exactly. It was like his own little thing, and he'd mix in, of course, some hits, but uh, but it was just randomness, though. Did you like the show we saw, Josh? No, I did not. Um, <laughs> and I don't. I mean, I don't like Prince his his music particularly. There's some songs that I think are like enjoyable. I think as we talked about with the Talking Heads when we talked about Stop Making Sense, some of the biggest pop hits I enjoy in sort of this ambient, you know, you're, you've got to be familiar with them kind of way. Um, and that's true probably for Prince too. In this movie, I would say When Doves Cry is the one song in this movie that I, that I quite enjoy. But overall, I'm not into Prince's music. But the other thing about that concert, and probably even more so, Dave, for the show that you saw, was that he never played a whole damn song. He's so mm. into like jamming and like melding things together that even though he did, as Jason says, play all these big hits because it was his charity show, like he never played one all the way through and they all just kind of ran together. He and did play I, one all the way through. Or did he play? Which he played, one did he play? He closed with Purple Rain. Okay, which is like 10 minutes long. And I also hate that as we've established uh, previously. I, I hate jamming. I can't stand jamming, even in, even if I go see an artist that I love and they're like, here's this song, but we're going to play it for 10 minutes. I'm forget it. But but wait a second. I'm going to take you to task on this one yeah. because Purple Rain, the original cut of it is like, depending on what you want to say, is anywhere from eight to 13 minutes. Right. So the right. released version that you heard, you know, when you were rocking the radio in like 84, 85, Josh is a four to five minute cut down version but the real track is eight to 13 minutes so he's not jamming on it he's playing the full version of the song well first of all the, that sucks 
But secondly, <laughs> but also I would, I mean, I can't be a hundred percent sure it was a long time ago as we've established my memory apparently is gone now in my middle-aged years, but I guarantee you he played it longer than that. Cause that's what he does in concert. Yeah. And so no, I'm not, I'm not into that at all. And I, I'm sure that like you were not, you were far from the only one at that concert who enjoyed that. And obviously people Epic, are man. really into when that happens. But even the version in this movie, which is, I don't remember exactly how long they play it, but however about, long- About eight to 10, I think. I, I was sitting there thinking, when is this gonna be over? Why is this song still going? So it's just, it's not, it's not for me. I can acknowledge that he, Prince, is, this, is a very talented musician. Obviously people love a lot of his music, but to me, it just doesn't do anything for me music-wise, even less so, I would say, than like the Talking Heads, where we watched a whole movie of their concert, and thankfully I could be kind of into it. So that's just, I mean, that's just my reaction to his music. And I think going to see him in concert, and maybe you and I talked about this, it was like, well, this experience maybe, you know, will show, you you know, you'll be able to appreciate the music, and I I just didn't, so. I mean, you appreciated the in and out burger. I did way, way more than the concert, I'm sure. So I would have I would have preferred to just end the evening there with the in and out burger. So to be clear, I am a Prince fan, but not like a super hardcore Prince fan. But um, I thought he was one of I, I actually rank him as the second best uh, concert I've ever seen. The one that we saw uh, behind the 50 Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> right. Concerts. Yeah, they're all tied for number one. But in my defense, uh, they asked Prince once um, on like a talk show and they're like, you're such a commanding, you know, performer. Is there any other uh, rock musician you like to watch? And he said, I think Bruce Springsteen's a very good band leader, you know. So, you know, there was a mutual respect for the two of them there. And Bruce was actually uh, on the Purple Rain tour. I think there were like videos of like pop stars, like like talking about how great Prince was and, and Springsteen was one of them. So I love the music. Uh, I want to say this about the concert, what, what mesmerized me so much. And, and I agree with you that, that, that the medley where he would like play kind of some of the hits and just tease you, like, just give, give it to me, baby. I, I'm ready to finish and have a cigarette, but, um, and I'm, and I don't even smoke, but he was the only musician. And I, as, as you know, I covered music for about a decade. I've ever seen who was ahead of the music he was playing. Usually someone has to like play a note and their hand has to stay where, you know, the note is so to speak on the, on the guitar. And his hand was already somewhere else when the note was coming out. And I've never seen that before or since uh, definitely uh, as we all know, one of the greatest musicians out there and one of the, the most electric guitar players I've ever seen. Yeah, certainly. Again, I'm not saying he's not extremely talented. It's just that his talents are lost on me. So Dave, I'm guessing that you are a Prince fan having gone to that show. Did you see this movie before? Actually, I never have been too big of a Prince fan. Uh, oh. I, I, got, I got invited to that show for free. Um, and and I, I think okay. he's fine. I'm kind of, you know, I like some of the hits and I've just, I, I think he's an amazing performer and musician, but I not really big on his songs, so to speak, you know, but I hadn't seen the movie though. That, that I'll say. Yeah. All right. Well, look, let me give you a little more background on the, on Go the, for on it. the film, yes, Josh. Please. Okay. I'll stop uh, insulting Prince. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's get back to this, uh, this film, Purple Rain. So Prince uh, told his managers in like 1983, 
if you don't get me a studio deal, I'm leaving you. And uh, his managers basically couldn't get him a studio deal for a motion picture with his name above the marquee. So they financed it himself. That was the risk they took on him. It worked. The um, The movie was originally supposed to go to James Foley from At Close Range. At this time, he had just debuted with Reckless. And he couldn't do it, so he passed it to uh, Magnoli, who you had mentioned, Josh, um, who was his editor at the time. There was a script written by William Blinn called Dreams, um, and that didn't really... He he stayed on as like a credited writer, but he didn't... They went a totally different way from that. And uh, Prince kind of had the idea for this movie and wrote it down in in like purple notebooks uh, or a purple notebook, what it was supposed to be and the themes. And that's kind of how it all worked. Obviously, uh, two Grammys for it. Best rock performance by a doer or a, or a group with a vocal best instrumental composition written for a movie. And the last thing I wanted to say from a background standpoint, Josh, is you want to talk about how big of a star he was when this was out. At one point in time, he had the number one movie, the number one album and the number one single in America all at the same time. Yeah, that's, I don't know who else would do that. Maybe Elvis. Yeah, I don't know either. I'm trying to think like when, like when we said a star is born, did that happen or who knows? But yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm sure there's uh we could. Barbra Streisand maybe? Yeah, maybe. But I mean, even if, even if so, that's got to be a very, very short list. So uh, impressive accomplishments. And as, as Pauline Kale pointed out, as, as you're saying, Albert Magnoli may be the credited director and co-writer here but this is clearly prince's he's clearly in charge yeah. of what goes on here um right and um i think later on magnoli did more quote unquote ghost directing for him but prince made sure to keep the credit yes well that sounds like something prince would do so <laughs> sign of the time i think in the sign of the time concerts yeah we'll come back then in a moment and talk about our general thoughts on purple rain Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this special bonus episode of our season on the films of 1984, we're talking about Prince's Purple Rain. And as previously established, I hate Prince. So Jason, why don't you start? Why? I mean, I assume, first of all, did you enjoy this movie? Uh, I thought it was all right. Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) never mind. My setup has failed. No, Um, I mean, look. and by the way, I just want to say I consider you two my my Wendy and Lisa. So, you know, I, that's oh, how thanks. fond I am of you. Nice. And also, I'll never take your creative input on anything. No, that's not the case. <laughs> I wanted to like it more, Josh. I wanted to like it so much more. But it's not really a movie. It's like, like I said, an extended music video. And the good parts are the music. So, like, when it's not there, you're like, come on, man. Come on, dude. Come on. And then, like. The part where it gets great is the part you hated where it crescendos with Purple Rain and I Would Die For You and Baby I'm a Star. And that's like the release and the celebration. And I love that last 20 minutes of it. But I could see if you weren't invested that you wouldn't care by that point in time. Well, right. And I mean, I I didn't particularly care for that part, but I would certainly I certainly preferred the parts where they were just playing music to the parts where Prince is attempting to act and they're trying to have a plot. That, those parts are way worse. And I mean, and I think that's the problem. It's not just that like the music is the only good part, it's that the other parts are so bad that they almost make it worse that 
even if you enjoy the music and you like Prince and you want to see him perform some songs, you have to like slog your way through this just dreadful movie in order to get there. I guarantee there's got to be some video of a Prince concert from around this time where you could see him perform all these songs and you wouldn't have to deal with the plot and the acting of Purple Rain. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, Josh, because um, in 1983, they played um, at First Avenue Club, right, where this movie takes place or where the club scenes are shot. And um, it was the first performance ever with the revolution and Wendy and Lisa It was a fundraiser for the Minnesota Dance Theater. There's a video of uh, the performance on YouTube. It's not very good quality, but it's the first time they ever played Purple Rain. Like I said, the first time they played uh, as the Revolution and the first time they ever played Purple Rain. And that's where the album track is taken from. They recorded it like once live and they're like, yeah, that's it. We nailed it. So um, so you do have that option, Josh. Right. And I personally don't want to take it because I, as established, don't like the music. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure you're right that this is much more professionally shot. But I I think there is at least a an officially released concert movie of the Purple Rain tour. I was looking at this. So that would be after this movie came out. But, you know, in terms of your option right now, if you're like, I love Prince and I want to see him perform these songs, you could watch that and not have to deal with the story, which uh, if we want to explain the plot of this movie, the kid, which is Prince's character, is, uh, is this sort of up and coming musician in Minneapolis who has this rivalry with Morris Day, played by Morris Day. Wait, wait, one course, second, Josh. I don't even want to say up yes. and coming because he's already on the downslope when we're starting this. I suppose so. Yeah, well, he's not necessarily on the downslope. He just has a lot of uh, people who are uh, out to get him. He's out of because... he's out of favor and his music hasn't connected the way that he thinks it should. Right, but he still draws a crowd at this club. It's just that um, he is an asshole. And so <laughs> um, that is hampering his career development. So Morris Day, who is also kind of an asshole, but is more charming, I guess, um, is is his big rival with his group at the time, which of course was the real Morris Day group. And Morris Day and Prince were childhood friends and played music together for throughout their careers. And they then end up kind of fighting over Apollonia, who is this newcomer to town who shows up at the club and wants to be a singer. And both of them want to um, sleep with her. And Morris at least pretends to care about her career and tries to give her a shot in his girl group that he's putting together. But the kid, he doesn't even, he appears to want her to fail, I think, (laughs) even though he is into her romantically, I guess. Uh, He gets mad at her, not only for joining the group that is uh, headed up by his rival, but really seemingly for making any effort whatsoever to succeed as a singer. So, um, but he's the good guy, right? Yeah, that's, <laughs> I guess that's the problem. I think that's part of the problem with this movie is that the kid is a terrible person. He is extremely unlikable. He is a total jerk and uh, physically abusive to Apollonia, his girlfriend and mean to his band members, arrogant, And yet the movie excuses all that because he's a musical genius and he is a musical genius because he's Prince and never redeems him. He never learns anything. And the plot part of the movie just kind of ends. And then they're like, here's some songs. The end. Well, uh, let me take two things there. 
he is yeah. kind of redeemed when when they play Purple Rain because at that point he's accepted Wendy and Lisa's song, which that he which he has Gr- been grudgingly. <laughs> no, I mean, and then it you know becomes a big hit. But the other thing I was and I wanted I'm glad you brought it up, Josh, because this is the third movie we've covered where like the movie's over, but it just keeps going with songs. <laughs> from 1984 (laughs) right right? like streets of fire ended and then they did like 10 more songs or 10 more minutes songs footloose ended and it was like 10 minutes of dancing right and now this was like i think it really ends with the purple rain number and then the last two um i would die for you and uh baby i'm a star are just there because it's like they're great they're great music they're great songs and like why not let's watch them so but are they necessary from a plot standpoint no not at all No, I mean, and it's not even, the problem isn't necessarily that they do that at the end. The problem is that they give up on even attempting to resolve the plot. It's not like, okay, we've resolved the conflict. The plot is over. Now we're going to celebrate by performing some music. The plot just kind of gives up. And there's a couple, there's almost like a montage within, I don't know if it's when they're playing Purple Rain or, or one of those later songs where you get these glimpses of the kid and Apollonia sort of reconciling i guess but even though nothing yeah, has I think changed it's purple rain and him and him rec- you know going to visit his dad in the hospital and all that stuff and his mom being there i think it is during purple rain so. right but that stuff even though it, it's this sort of token nod to like hey remember uh the characters and the story here's some of that it doesn't actually resolve anything and it leaves the kid in the same place as this arrogant abusive guy. And it seems to think that the most important reconciliation is between him and his terrible, abusive father who beats his mother. And we see her in the hospital with the father who has attempted to kill himself and failed. And she should not be there. She should have left him and gotten away from him. There's no indication that he's going to stop hitting her once he gets out of the hospital. And and also plot wise, plot wise, he didn't he shouldn't have lived. It's more emotionally effective if he dies with the suicide attempt. But you're right. Like he's been abusive and horrible the whole time. There'd be no reason for you to stay. Right. And and the kid also is abusive and horrible, and there's no reason for Apollonia to stay, or for that matter, for his band members to stay with him in his band. Wendy and Lisa have written this great song, as we've been told throughout the entire movie. They should leave. They should form their own group and leave him behind. Now, look, Josh, okay, (laughs) you've missed the main relationship that had to be reconciled it's prince and fame okay so and and in the end prince and fame live uh uh happily ever after for the next few decades right but right um but no look yeah i i was i was very surprised from a um screenwriting standpoint when he did slap apollonia you know i was like Uh, and there's like no record there's no um like you said reconciliation or or kind of like remorse for it. It just kind of happens. And then they move on. Like, yeah, I slapped her. She wanted to be in a girl group, <laughs> you know, like what? Right. She has dreams of her own, that, that crazy lady, you know? And, uh, but I mean, you know, so there, there are some confusing things, but even like, there's some lazy things like Apollonia, when they, where are you from? And she's like, New Orleans. But I heard about this club, so I figured I'd come and make it here. And it's like, yeah, because there's no music scene in New Orleans, right? <laughs> like, come right. like, so, and then, like I said, the dad's suicide, it should have just been a suicide. So those, those are the things that are infuriating. 
Uh, I agree with you. You don't think Prince is a good actor. I'm going to say Prince when he talks is not a good actor. <laughs> Prince, <laughs> Prince's eyes are amazingly expressive. I thought, I thought if they gave him no lines and just had his eyes do expressions the whole time and sing, like it would. This movie, I thought, like you know who needed to direct this movie, Lin Manuel Miranda, because then the whole movie would have been songs. And it would have been much better because they would have told the whole story in songs. And Prince is so much more emotive on stage that, like, I think it could have been so much better as a full-fledged beginning-to-end musical. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I don't know if that would have completely... Because the songs, I mean, as good as the songs are, if you, you know, if you like the Prince song, they're clearly good Prince songs. But I don't feel like the songs express the plot properly. And there, there, there are two instances where he sings a song that's meant to have relevance to the plot. And in both of those instances, I thought, this makes no sense. So there's a scene where he performs Darling Nikki, and Apollonia gets really mad at him. And I was not clear if she was mad because she thought the song was about her and about their like sexual relationship, and she didn't like him sharing that with everyone. Or she thought the song was about some other girl that he'd been with and was mad that he was singing about some other girl in front of her. But either way, the song, which presumably was written independently and just put in the movie, it doesn't fit when it's required to move the plot along. I thought it was about the former. I thought it was him singing about her to her face, you know, while she's watching it and being embarrassed. And in that in that moment, it would fit. But I do understand your point that it needed some clarification and um, some weaving. Yeah, I mean, it just, like, it's very important because she gets so angry and she storms out. And then even uh, Morris or Jerome, Morris's sidekick, one it was, of them, It was Jerome. He says, like, that wasn't cool what you did. And at that moment, I was like, well, but what exactly did he do? Can you tell me, please? But Jerome's um, kind of a fun character as a hanger-on who will just do anything for Morris Day. <laughs> like, he's the best. Yeah. I've hitched my wagon to Morris Day, baby. <laughs> That's it. So. <laughs> they have a they have a kind of amusing dynamic. I mean, they're also terrible misogynists. They literally dump a woman in a in a garbage uh, in a. I was bag. I was gonna say uh, I I was like I was not enjoying this movie until that scene, and then I was like, okay, I get what this movie is like. But I, I mean, you know, uh, we're reconciling <laughs> it in 2021 now. But you know, it wasn't it wasn't dudes who went alone to this movie. You know, it was men and women. Uh, Women who swooned over Prince, boyfriends and girlfriends like this, uh, I guess, throwing ladies in the dumpster if they like question where you were last night was cool in the 80s. And honestly, um, it was a simpler time. No, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that's 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 not cool. I'm, I'm not joking cool. around, Josh. Clearly, right. that no, I, I realize that I realize that. But they do have kind of a fun comedy dynamic. They have that weird bit where they're doing like a who's on first routine. <laughs> that was kind of funny, but it was just so random. Like, honestly, I'm just trying to find something that kind of entertained me about this movie. So there's that. But I want to go back to the, the my my previous issue with the songs that are meant to be relevant to the plot. So the big climax is that he performs Purple Rain, right? We've had this whole subplot throughout the movie where Wendy and Lisa wrote this song and he won't perform it. He won't even listen to it. And finally, he acknowledges that. And he's all sad because his father attempted suicide. And he gets on stage and he says, very seriously, I'm dedicating this song to my father. And then he sings Purple Rain, which is definitely not a song about your father. It is definitely a song about like romantic longing. 
And it just, again, it just struck me as the, the, the song needs to fulfill this very basic plot uh, function and it, it fails. And not because it's a bad song, but because they just threw it in there without thinking about it. I mean, really, it should have been dedicated to Wendy and Lisa because of all the stuff that he put them through. And then this is like, hey, you guys are right. You wrote an awesome song and let's play it. But, um, <sighs> okay. I mean, the song is so good. I, I, I mean, I guess what he's saying is like, I'm dedicating this to my father, who is also a very good musician. And I see that now and I want to strive to be my best. And maybe I haven't in the past because I wouldn't let other people, you know, influence me creatively, which is weird because from what I've read, like Prince, obviously we know it was very into Prince and some reports say like, that's how he was. But at the same time, they, there are others that say like, at this point in time, he was so receptive to other people's ideas and collaboration. And that's how so much of the music was made, you know? Well, it's interesting, though, and, and I think kind of ironic that the whole storyline here is that Wendy and Lisa have written Purple Rain and he won't perform it. But in reality, or at least according to the credits, Prince wrote it, yeah. Prince, Prince wrote Purple Rain and Wendy and Lisa eventually left the revolution because uh, Prince would not listen to their ideas and they wanted to go solo. So it's sort of an well, ironic thing there. Yeah. But uh, how did that work out, Wendy and Lisa? They did. They did fine as soundtrack. Fine. They did all right as soundtrack. I'm just. They're 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 alive, and so (laughs) So you're scoring. um, (laughs) You're scoring Prince's death against. uh, No, look here. Here's a little background on Purple Rain, which is like I, you know, if you argued it's the best rock song ever, I'd be like, that's a good pick. Um, It was actually written as a country song. Uh, Prince wrote it for him and Stevie Nicks. And Stevie Nicks listened to it and just got kind of scared, like, of what it would take to do it. So she kind of backed away. And then at, like, a rehearsal one day, he started playing around with it. And uh, then Wendy played those iconic chords. And then for the next six hours, the band just played it and turned it in from a country song into what we know it to be now. So, um, but Josh, that song peaked at uh, number two. Do you know what held it out as the number one single? No, I didn't. I saw that there were two other songs from here that did make it to number one. But what was number one over Purple Rain? Yes. Uh, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham. So I mean, that's a great song and it's not <laughs> 10 minutes long. So <laughs> this is what's so great about the podcast is you just defended Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go over Purple Rain. Not that I'm against Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. I'm just not picking it over Purple Rain. I mean, not that I love that song, but if I had a choice to listen to one of those two songs, I'm going to take that Wham! song every time. All right. Um, Well, then I'm glad you're choosing life, Josh. Uh, Yes. um, the The two songs that were number one were When Doves Cry and Let's Go Crazy. And uh, Let's Go Crazy was number one when the, al- when the album and the movie was also number one. The album spent 24 weeks at number one, man. So 122 weeks uh, on the charts. So just wanted to get that in there. Uh, I know you don't like it, but uh, too bad for you. No, I mean, I can see the popularity of the music. I can see that how it would be popular. I, I'm, I'm, I'm less, uh, I, can, I'm, I can't quite understand the, appeal of the movie other than the music, other than just wanting to experience the music. But as a movie, this is straight up terrible. It's not um, a very good movie, but 
side two of the album, Josh, <laughs> you could argue is the greatest side two of any album. When doves cry, I would die for you, baby. I'm a star of purple rain. How are you gonna how are you gonna argue that one? So yeah. Like I said, I kinda I kinda like when doves cry. That's that's a that's a catchy little song. But um And it has no bass line. Did you know that? I didn't, but that's you know, I think uh one of the things that Prince is, you know, clearly again, clearly a musical genius and coming up with these things that I didn't notice but obviously contributes to the appeal of that song and why it works. So, I mean, all credit to him on that, but I definitely don't want to listen to any Prince albums. I like the beginning of When Doves Cry when it sounds like he's talking into an electric razor. <laughs> wow, 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 all, so, all sorts of creative stuff going on here. Uh, I do want to say Clarence Williams III, who is the only, I think, actor in this movie who is an actual actor. Mod Squad. Yeah. And is, I mean, he is a big, he's still around. He's a, a major character actor for many, many years. And he plays uh, the kid's dad. Like, it's not a good part and it's not well written, but he puts his all into that as an actor and does everything that he can to make you feel the real emotions well, of that. The mom, so. the mom's a real actor, Olga, whatever her last name is. Uh, oh, Car Carlotto. Yeah, I she's think. like yeah. from uh, right. a lot of Italian horror movies. And I actually thought the dude who managed the club was a pretty good actor, the, the big fella. You know? Yeah, he might, he might also be not a prince associate. I mean, he doesn't have much of a, a part. But I mean, I think Clarence. I mean, Williams, he's got that one scene, right, where he's like, "What the fuck are you doing? You're going to screw this up, like your dad." Like, and I thought he he did well with that scene. Yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine, I guess. But overall, I mean, the idea of Prince not only casting himself but casting everyone that he knows um, and everyone that he works with musically, I don't know that that was a great choice. I mean, it it leads to the music, which is what's important. But in terms of caring about these characters. And having an investment in their uh, arcs, it just, uh, yeah, it's a big failure. No, uh, no favorite Morris Day in the Time songs, Josh? Uh, I don't know. What was their big hit? No, there was two. There was Jungle Love and The Bird. Oh, yeah, I do know Jungle Love, uh, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, I'm not saying that the songs are bad. It just kind of, this is not, it doesn't do it for me. But Morris Day clearly has a lot of charisma and stage presence also. And is a better actor than Prince. I mean, in part because he's just called upon to be goofy. And maybe if he had to be serious and emotional, he wouldn't be able to handle it. But being silly, he's he does okay with it. Uh, two, two fun facts. By the time this movie was released, Prince and Morris Day were no longer talking to each other. Hopefully they reconciled. <laughs> but, uh, I think they did. Um, this, this is one I thought was fun. Uh, uh, the kid never says a word to Morris Day. And Morris Day only speaks 13 words to the kid throughout the whole movie. And that's the whole rivalry. Mm. Let's rate this thing, Josh. Yeah, let's rate it out of five uh, puffy shirts. Sure, I was going to say purple motorcycle. So you know. there you go. That's I mean, that motorcycle is something yeah. too in this movie. I mean, to me, it, it gets two and a half. And uh, without the music, it might get a half <laughs> so, <laughs> or one. Yeah. I'm going to give it, I give it two stars. Like I, I, I acknowledge the, the music and some of it I enjoyed, but the rest of it is, and I, I like the costumes, the puffy shirts and all the other costumes. Um, and as you mentioned, the use of color in the cinematography, some of that looks kind of cool. You know, it has this music video aesthetic that's um, appealing to look at, but. And, and the location shooting around Minneapolis, you know, I always like that stuff. I want to like this movie more, Josh, I, but you're not helping. 
Yeah. <laughs> Dave, what, what would you like to rate this? So I, I have to say that my rating is based on a so bad it's good scale because I had so much fun with this really, really bad movie. I'm giving it three and a half. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So the, the, the big Prince fan gives it a lower rating than the guy who says he never really cared for Prince. That's right. But did you notice Amazing. that Dave kind of looks like Dr. Dave from the, uh, <laughs> from the revolution? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I th- thought it was, I was thinking, and then this goes to, of course, our long running discussion of, of Dave's resemblance to people, because uh, when that guy first showed up on screen for a second, I was like, was Weird Al in Prince's <laughs> right. band? And of course, <laughs> Dave, Dave most looks like Weird Al. Yeah, so right. that all, uh, that all ties together. That's right. <laughs> so we'll come back then in a moment and talk about the legacy of Purple Rain. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this special bonus episode of our season on the films of 1984, we've been talking about Prince's Purple Rain, which is not a great movie. And contrary to what Siskel and Ebert kind of expected having seen this movie, and contrary to what other people might expect given how successful this movie was, Prince did not become a big movie star. He uh, made a few more movies himself uh, that he not only starred in, but also directed. And as as Jason pointed out, Albert Magnoli, who directed Purple Rain, kind of ghost directed these films. But none of them were. Or at least at least one of them. There. Yeah. And uh, but none of them were were anywhere near the success uh, of Purple Rain. Uh, He followed up with Under the Cherry Moon and then uh, Sign of the Times, which is mostly, I think, a straight up concert film. And then Graffiti Bridge, which is sort of a sequel to Purple Rain. No, it's a sequel. I haven't seen it, but I, I read references that called it sort of like a spiritual sequel or something like that. But it does feature the kid as the main character. Have you seen any of and those? Morris Day, no, no. But and Morris Day is his like you know rival. Yeah. And they're fighting over the clubs. So, like, how is that not a sequel? Okay, there you go. I, I again, I haven't seen it. That wasn't my judgment. That was just based on some of the things that I read, but. I, I, I don't want to see any of these movies. Sounds like a reboot. No. <laughs> and I mean, and that came, that movie came out in 1990, which was a point where Prince was kind of, his popularity was going down a bit and it, you know, maybe could be looked at as a way for him to recapture the height of his popularity. Well, again, it's like, dude, I mean, the, the height of where he was when this was out is like one of those, um, you know, lightning bolt moments that you can't sustain for an entire career. No one can. Right. So like even in 1990, he's still playing, you know, to major crowds and is a major draw. So, I mean, and that album is quite well regarded, the Graffiti Bridge album. So, you know, it's um, the movies, maybe not the uh, maybe not the move for him. No, obviously not. And after after that, after Graffiti Bridge came out in 1990, he never I mean, he had a career that went on for another 26 years, but he never attempted to make another movie. He never attempted to star in a movie that someone else was, you know, he didn't get hired by some major director to play a part or anything like that. As opposed to, say, Madonna, who you mentioned as one of those, you know, other stars on the same level, who really has, whether you think she's good at it or not, has sustained this parallel career as an actor sporadically throughout her career, starting in the 80s when she was at the height of of her popularity there. And that's just not something that he did. Yeah. And that, you know, 
we don't know. He could have been offered a hundred roles. He just might have turned them all down. So we don't know. Right. That's so. true. Obviously he decided, or, you know, maybe it was a combination of of not being offered is what he would want and his decision to focus on the music. And even if his career had ups and downs, obviously he was enormously popular and influential all the way up until his death in 2016. Um, and uh, created many more hits and, and is incredibly prolific. I mean, even now, I think supposedly there's vaults of yeah. hundreds of Prince songs that have never been released that are still waiting for the people to uh, argue over yeah. his estate or whatever. Right. And, you know, that that's akin to Springsteen and probably Dylan, too, you know, where they just have so much unreleased stuff. And they're all and those are three very bootlegged artists as well because of what they do live. Uh, Purple Rain was the last song he ever played uh, at the uh, in Atlanta. Uh, last number he played a week before he died. Um, so that's sad. And after he died, this movie was shown on MTV and VH1 in tribute and also at AMC and Carmike theaters. So, I mean, it, it resonated, you know, still to the day. Right. And that was the thing is that as soon as he died, that was the big tribute that people went to was watching this movie or putting this movie out in theaters. And I remember when that happened and not only did the theater show it, you know, once or twice, right, right. The week of his death, but it played for weeks in these theaters yeah. after he died. So people were going to see we, it. I assume we missed it. Dave. I know. I wish I had so, gone. Yeah. Um, Hey, Josh, one studio executive recommended that Prince should be played by John Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> I might have enjoyed that more. I mean, as we established in Saturday Night Fever, I guess maybe by, oh, no, I feel like in 1984, Travolta was still uh, in, in the right phase of his career. He could have uh, done that. I mean, yeah, I don't know that that would have been good because the only appeal of this movie is Prince. Um, yeah. And if you put a different person in there, it would probably have focused even more on the terrible plot. There's no, there's dude, there's no movie without the Prince music and Prince performing the music. So no, right. get it out. Get it, get I think it. we can agree, however, so. that John Travolta as hammy as he is, or can be, is a better actor than Prince. Sure. And, and Travolta's had many good performances. Yeah. So, you know, Prince's Super Bowl halftime show is epic and and many regarded as the greatest ever. I, I remember that. I was pretty blown away watching that one. Yeah, I mean, I didn't watch it, but I remember when it happened and how uh, really into that people were. And the Super Bowl halftime show is generally not something that's ever good. So there there's a there's a there's a few on the list and it's it's the guys you would think it's Prince Springsteen, U2, Bruno Mars uh, recently. So, you know, it's the people who have reputations as great live performers. I yeah. Think, and that's, you know, I mean, it's uh, not good in part because that's like an impossible task for people right. to put on a good performance in that tiny little time slot where they're busy put setting up a stage in a couple minutes and the sound quality isn't great and you're in some football stadium and all that. Right. And, uh, and it's outdoors, which is one, there's a great story about, you know, the Prince one, you know, they rehearse all week and then it starts pouring rain. Like right before, um, was it Prince goes was it, was purple, it purple rain? Yeah, sorry, I had to. I had to ask. <laughs> In a way, it was because, and I'll get to that, Josh. But um, so it's raining hard, and before he goes on, the director, who I think was Don Rio, uh, calls him and he goes, "Prince, uh, it's you know, as you can see, it's uh, it's pouring. Like we're really worried about this. Is there anything we can do to make your performance easier?" And he goes, and Prince like thinks about it. And he goes, "Yes, 
can you make it rain harder? <laughs> you know, like he's just, you know, he's that cocksure of himself all the time. But he closed, if I'm not mistaken, he closed with Purple Rain and he's behind that purple veil and it's pouring and it's like everything worked because Prince is magic, you know? So, yeah, I don't know, man. Other than that, um, the last fun fact I found, Josh, was there is an African language, Northwest Africa, uh, called Toreg. And the first film ever made in Toreg uh, was um, called, uh, I can't pronounce it, it's called Akunak Tetelat Tasha Tazugi. And it's a film homage to Purple Rain and The Harder They Come with guitarist Madhu Mokhtar. And I think that movie is like Purple Rain is just is a showcase for this musician who's very who is very famous in Africa. And um, they use kind of the structure of Purple Rain to um, as as again, as like an homage or as a tribute. But they use that as a showcase for this musician. I think you're right. Yeah, And I, of course, have I mean, I don't know if that's available anywhere for us to see in the US, but I haven't I haven't seen it. I don't know that uh, anyone really. As I did, I looked it up on Letterboxd and there were some reviews from, uh, in English from presumably from American or Western viewers. So it's available somewhere, but, um, yeah. And are those reviews mostly positive? Or well, they were fairly, like, I think they were similar to this in that, like the guy, the musician is, um, you know, his music is great. Maybe the movie isn't, or, or people who are just fascinated with its reflection of the, of the culture that they're not familiar with. But I did see one and it was something like, and I can, I'm just paraphrasing here, but it was something like, uh, this movie wouldn't be anything if it weren't for the music, because the character is such a terrible asshole who, um, treats everyone poorly. And then the person says, and they, they had never seen Purple Rain. And they said like, and then I went and watched Purple Rain. And if anything, Purple Rain is worse in that regard. So there you go. Uh, well, I mean, Purple Rain is a catchier title than the literal translation of this one. Red with the color of blue or the sky with the color of blue with a little red in it. Or yeah, a, a little li rain. I think a it's literal rain translation that doesn't quite, uh, little red in it. doesn't quite fly. Hey, Josh. Yes. Have you ever seen a movie that used more fog machines? <laughs> From, the, the Fog? John Carpenter's The Fog, maybe? About it. There's a lot of fog there machines. Is, there is a lot, which is the, you know, the 1980s music video aesthetic. Uh, Apollonia, I mean, this was like, I think, meant to be a big launch pad for Apollonia's career, and that didn't really uh, go anywhere. There was one Apollonia 6 album and an Apollonia solo album, and she's acted very occasionally on TV and stuff, but I think she's like a manager, right? Doesn't she manage like young actors now? I mean, I'm sure she's doing okay, but she certainly didn't become the superstar. I think, you know, Prince, uh, throughout his career was big on these proteges. And I don't know that he ever really launched any of them into the level of superstardom. Sh Sheila E, Sheila E got very popular. Yeah. But, but compared to Prince, Sheila E is a footnote. Right. But I mean, Sheila E and Morris Day would probably be the two I'd say, you know, and Morris Day was more of a collaborator. Right. And Morris Day is still around. Um, he performs. He's big on the nostalgia circuit. He performs here in Las Vegas a lot and actually used to live here uh, for a while, although not anymore. But uh, I mean, he's still definitely somebody that you would go see at like a casino in Connecticut or something like that. And I'm sure he puts on a good show. You know who goes to see Morris Day a lot, Josh? Jay and Silent. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. They were big fans of Morris Day. And I assume Kevin Smith is. And that's why. Uh, he ended up as a reference in there. Uh, Wendy and Lisa, 
as uh, as I implied, not only still alive, but also still working steadily. And they do a lot of uh, like film and TV composing, which is interesting. You know, right. you'll see their their name come up in the credits a lot. But they've also put out their own albums as a duo. And the Revolution as a band uh, reunited after Prince's death and uh, was touring. Um, yeah, they played here in Vegas. They played at Brooklyn. Bowl. There you go. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, obviously, all of that is on hiatus at the moment, but maybe they'll come back. And that includes, I think, all of the people who are in the band in this movie, with the exception, of course, of Prince. But Wendy and Lisa, as well as all the rest of them, uh, ha- were part of that reunion. And finally, Albert Magnoli. This was, again, a kind of a big break for him, theoretically, but he didn't do much as a director after this, other than working with Prince and made a couple of uh, low profile films, but hasn't had any directing credits since like the late nineties. So, Oh no, no, no. I marked down two, Josh, two classics, American Anthem with Mitch Gaylord, uh, Olympic gymnast when, uh, you know, in the eighties, you were like, Hey, you won an Olympic gold medal. Let's make a movie about your sport, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and tango and cat. Right. Which he's not credited with, but, uh, no. uh, showed up as a replacement for the original director. But again, those are both I think right after or soon after this, and then he just didn't sustain that directing career. So my point being that Prince is such an all-consuming egotist that even when he attempts to launch other people's careers, he overshadows them. Look, I just want to mention the other two members of the revolution, Brown Mark and Bobby Z, who we we already mentioned, Dr. Fink and Lisa and Wendy. Apparently there was a scene cut from this film where Lisa and Wendy were kissing because they were in a relationship at the time. And uh, it's got, I mean, you know, I mentioned Stevie Nicks. It's got to be tough when you got to uh, you're in relationships and out of relationships with your band members and collaborators and you still have to constantly collaborate. Right. Well, Wendy and Lisa seem to have done that well because their romantic relationship ended a long time ago, but they've remained uh, artistic partners uh, to this day. So they did better. They yeah. did better at it than Stevie Nicks and the various members of Fleetwood Mac, I think. Well, and like you said, wasn't and Prince was uh, involved with probably, you know, Vanity and Apollonia and Carmen Electra at one point, all these protégé of him. Yeah, well, I think that was one of the things is that he would uh, find some hot chick that he wanted to date and then decide that she was going to become a singer. And then when he broke up with her, she her career would suddenly mysteriously be over. How did that happen? Man, Josh, Josh, you really don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, like, look, even if you think his music is great, you could acknowledge that he's this terrible egotist and an asshole who probably mistreated people. I mean, that's that's almost any great musician, unfortunately. Well, he's also uh, I mean, look, I'm going to obviously uh, I don't know his personal life, but if I was going to take the counterpoint, he's also known for you know, giving to charity and doing a lot of good things. Too. Yeah, so. good for him. I mean, and certainly uh, his personal behavior uh, is not uh, as bad as some, you know? I mean, as far as we know, he didn't uh, beat his girlfriends like the kid does. I, mean, I hope not. But that's not something, I mean, like it's sad to say, but I mean, hey, uh, James Brown and Little Richard, for example, who are people that are cited in that Gary Arnold review, in their personal lives, probably behaved worse uh, than Prince. I don't know about little. I don't know that little Richard had girlfriends, Josh. So I'm not going to say that he. Beat well, right, but James Brown, we know, was arrested. Yeah, for yeah. Him, I'm so. just saying that that these these uh, personality flaws, let's say, are not uncommon, and I'm not trying to like pretend that Prince is the only person who has them. But we also don't want to, you know, throw allegations out there without. No, 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 you're right. Uh, But I I think Little Richard has definitely had some uh, 
dubious behavior. So my point not being to, again, not to insult Little Richard, but just to point out that this is, it doesn't diminish his musical talent. Here's a fun fact. The VHS of this film was released while the film was still in theaters. Wow. That is a fun fact. I mean, dude, how big of a movie is it if it's still right. playing? Right, and especially because at that time, now it's not the case. I mean, it kept shrinking, but at that time, a VHS wouldn't come out until many months or maybe a year right. or more after a movie was released in theaters. So a very so, successful very film good. that sucks. One more, uh, one more legacy bit. Yeah. The Chappelle Show sketch, which I think was very influenced by the movie itself and led to, I think, a bit of his resurgence. Uh, later on in his career. Yeah, I think you're probably uh, right. Not just him. Fred Armisen did a great impression. Of oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Too. Yeah. I mean, and and his ability, as you're saying, Jason, to to have a, a sense of humor about himself, if not in this movie, but in general. I remember when he had a cameo on New Girl, I think it was, and people were endeared by that because he was just kind of acting goofy. So he was able to have a sense of humor about himself. Just not here, not at the height <laughs> right. of his career. Yeah. Yeah. I'm bummed that he's dead. I wish he was still around and uh, would have, I mean, it would have been really cool to see what he could still do. I'm sure he would have continued creating uh, some amazing stuff had he, had he lived and would have enjoyed listening to this episode of Awesome Movie. <laughs> no, no, not so No, much. he would not have. Wait, wait, I'm breaking in guys. We left out one super fun fact. Oh boy. One more fun facts. When Tipper Gore heard Darling Nikki. Uh, it was like her kid who was listening to it at the time was like 11. That's what like incited her to start the Parent Music Resource Center, which tried to censor a bunch of music in the 80s. So uh, there you wow. go. That's a, definitely not a positive legacy for this film, but uh, speaks to the power of Prince's sexual energy, I guess. He sexes you with his eyes. So that's Purple Rain. And that is this special bonus episode of Awesome Movie Year. And thank you if you're listening to this on Patreon. If you're one of our six, I think, patrons, mm -hmm. we appreciate it. And if you're listening to this much later, we still appreciate you. And uh, check us out on social media. Oh, we are on social media, Josh. As you know, uh, that is a true thing. I am Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram. Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter. GopherJason.com needs a slap in the face like Apollonia got in. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> just, just quit, quit while you're ahead. The there. character. I'm, I'm joking about the character, not in real sure, life. Guys. Sure, sure. And uh, Josh, you are at NumberOnePrinceFan.com. No, uh, no. Oh, no. We're at AwesomeMovieYear.com. Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I'm at joshbellhateseverything.com, where I did write about this movie uh, a number of years ago when I was doing a whole series of posts on rock movies, and you can read more about why I think it sucks <laughs> on that site. <laughs> also, Josh Bell Hates Everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. So thank you for checking us out on Patreon, if you have, at by David Rosen. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.